0: morning church Good morning, well you're already open to first peter we'll dive in there but i i do just as my own faith family want to tell you the last baptism that i was uh, uh blessed to do avy was actually izzy's my own daughter's and uh, this morning was was much nicer than that it was late january uh in north mississippi and the night before had been drip water to keep your pipes from freezing cold and uh we walked in uh, that morning, and I was a member at the church. They were going to let me baptize Izzy. and I walked up to the baptistry, and uh, just the pastor in me you know, took over, and I looked, and there was no water. The people who did the baptisms were uh, on vacation, and no one had filled it up, so we filled the baptistry through the song service, and when I stepped in, it was so cold, I couldn't think, and I, all I needed to do was tell the people that. I was like, morning, y'all. I got to stand here a second, because this is so cold, I can't think. Bless Izzy's bless heart, I baptized her, got her head above water and I heard her going up the steps. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so, so I'm thankful for warm water this morning Amy. But we, uh, we are in First Peter. Uh, I had uh, Miss Ashley read our last verse from last week because we have, uh, we have something pointing us back to that verse. Um, we'll get there in a minute. But I'll tell you a story about Izzy. This week, as I was preparing for this text, Lottie came in one day and uh, she had some work she'd come home from, from school with. She's in 4K this year. Um, and, and Lottie's getting kindergarten ready. So she comes in this week. And uh, if, if you're around Lottie enough, you're gonna learn Lottie, I don't wanna say likes to play dumb, but I can't, for lack of a better term, she, she thinks if you think she can't do it, you'll do it for her. So she'll just let you think that, okay? Well, she tried to apply that to her math homework. And uh, I realized that Lottie knew how to do this. She just didn't want to. And Lottie has figured out that the easiest way to get the answer to the problem is have an adult do it for her. Okay. And so I'm, I'm asking Lottie, well, what is this? And she goes, I don't know. You tell me. I'm like, no, Lottie, you're learning to do this. And she's like, you're the calculator, buddy. I mean, that was, that was kind of Lottie's thought process on this. And she wanted me to do it for her. And, and there was a point where she got frustrated and teachers I know it's crazy right now, we love you. We're praying for you. Um, I know some of you came home Friday and was like, I think I'm done, but listen, my kiddos need you. I need you and we're thankful for you, okay? We're thankful for what you're doing and and we're here with you. But I was was trying to get Lottie to understand, no big girl, you gotta learn this because any teacher will tell you, sometimes kids just don't wanna do the work and they just do it for me, dad, that's how this works. And when they realize they gotta figure it out on their own, sometimes that's really stressful to a kid. And this is already stressful times. And Lottie started getting frustrated, but she finally figured it out. And then I'm studying this passage. And it tells us, cast all our fears on God, cast all our anxieties on Him, but at the same time, expect the devil to attack. And I realize with Lottie, this passage, the beginning of this passage, doesn't tell us, ask God to make it easy. See, that's what Lottie was wanting. And I get that. That's, That's how she'd been conditioned to this point. Dad makes it easy. And sometimes we pray to God. And look, I was praying last night saying, Lord, if you can make this thing easy. (laughs) And sometimes God's going, I'm not going to make it easy. But what this text tells us is he is always with us as he's growing us through something. And watching my kids grow and wanting to do something for them, but knowing that if I do this for them, it's not good in the long run is hard this passage tells us sometimes God doesn't make it easy because there's bigger things He's doing in the moment. We have to remember that, especially in this pandemic. Let's not even say these crazy times. Let's call it what it is. Especially in this pandemic, it has changed every second of every day that we're alive. And we got to remember God's doing something in this. For one, I think He's telling the church, it's time to go out and be, not just come and see. I I think there's lots of things He's doing. I know there's things He's doing in our own individual lives. So this morning, we're going to see how he tells us in this passage to be relying on him, to be ready to resist the evil one, and to be rewarded in the end. So let's, let's jump in this morning with verse, uh, verse 6. Verse 6, we'll see what it says, and then we're going to look back at 5 in a minute. It says, humble yourselves. Humble's a great command to hear, and it's a scary one, okay? If you ever hear someone pray for humility or pray for patience... Best just to let them handle their life for a minute, okay? <laughs> but that, those are tough things. And here, Peter is telling this audience, humble yourselves. And then he's got that word that we saw last week too, but here he shows up with it again. Therefore, when you see therefore, or when you see because, or when you see so, always look back at the passage before. That's what he's saying. Humble yourselves, therefore. But humble myself, why? He's pointing us back specifically to verse 5. Remember last week he was talking about how we lead well, and then he ended with how we follow well, specifically there on the end of verse 5. He quotes a proverb, says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves because, if you will, for therefore, therefore, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's going to expound that through the rest of 6 and in verse 7. What he's going to tell us in verse 6 is why we humble ourselves. And in verse 7, he's going to tell us the one thing that we have to do on how to humble yourself, okay? So let's look at verse 6, what he says here on how, okay? He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, under the mighty hand of God, okay? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What do you think that means? Why such specific language of mighty hand of God? When you look back in the Old Testament, writers, Moses starting in Deuteronomy, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 5, we start receiving God's delivering of His people at least four times. I did a quick search and found it four quick times. Uh, In Deuteronomy 5, Ezra 7, Joshua 4, and Daniel 9, where God delivering His people from oppression... The one writing about it says God delivered them by the mighty hand of God. Now, Peter, having grown up, a Jewish boy, likely around Capernaum, don't you think he knows what this terminology is tied to? And don't you think the Holy Spirit is pushing him? Don't you know the Holy Spirit is pushing him to write, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Look, Peter is asking you to be humble enough, and we're going to see that more in verse 7, To depend on God, but he doesn't just say, trust him. He says, remember who you trust, church. You are trusting the God that caused the pharaohs of Egypt to weep, and there to be weeping in the streets of Egypt. You are trusting the God who parted the Red Sea. You're trusting the God who comforted Job in the midst of his suffering. You're trusting the God who blessed Solomon and took Solomon down. You're trusting the God that led Esther before kings, that led Israel and Nehemiah out of Persia. You are trusting the God who tested his people but grew his people, who was with his people when they were good, when they bad, who never left them, even when he had to grow them in tough ways. Remember who Peter is asking you to rely on. This is, this is not Peter going, now look, I just want you to trust AT&T's internet service. That would scare me to death. You with me? Okay. Peter is saying, we are trusting the one who has not left us and has never failed us and won't fail us. Trust is hard to come by in our day, but we literally have a history of humanity to look at and say, even when we look defeated, God was with us. The mighty hand of God is what we're relying on here. So why? Why trust? Because of who He is. And second thing He shows us, we trust not just because of who He is, but what's coming. He says, trust the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Don't miss that humility and humbleness are not the end goal here. I think think sometimes we read stuff like this and Christians, we start thinking, my goal is just to be humble. That's not what the passage says. The humility is the means to the reward. Don't miss the reward. Now, I've said this every week we've been in Peter. We need to be calling out these preachers who make it all about, well, just trust God and you're going to be blessed. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? But over and over and over in this book, how many times has Peter said, remember the reward. Remember what's coming. Remember that there is an end game in this and it's worth it. Remember that even if that wasn't true, God being who God is alone would be worth it. But on top of that, there is a day coming when he will exalt you. That's really good for us. And then he goes on in verse 7 and he tells us how to humble ourselves. Verse 7 may be the single most comforting and challenging verse I've ever read. Look at what it says. Casting all your anxieties on him. That sounds great. I mean, that's chicken soup for the soul level comforting, okay? And I'm not telling you, read that. Just because something's good stuff don't mean it's God stuff, okay? But here we've got God stuff saying, cast all your anxieties on God. Man, that sounds good until you quit trying to worry about something. I have found myself in the past year worrying about how much I was worrying. You ever done that? Why do we do that? Why do we get to a point where we know we can trust God, but we're what? It points back to verse five. He gave us that. Therefore is telling us, don't forget what he said in five. Who does God oppose? The proud. What Peter is telling us is that often our anxiety is a result of our own pride. Now hear me. There are chemical imbalances. There are things that are wrong with our bodies as a result of the fall. Okay? Remember, the rose didn't have a thorn until Adam and Eve sinned. That tells us that in Genesis. Everything changed at the basic level of existence. Jesus is the only thing that exists apart from that. Yes, there are, there are defects. There are things. So if you're sitting here going, I've been diagnosed with this a long time ago, and Brother Walsh just told me I'm prideful. Don't hear that, okay? I'm not, I'm not, tell- I'm try- I'm not trying to tell you that. What I am telling you generally as Christians when we have bad anxiety and it's not of a result of something that's wrong with our bodies it's usually because there's something wrong with our own faith and self here's what I mean we finally bought a house in north Mississippi after being there for a year and we we, it was made so that you could expand the upstairs and we did well when we got to the end um, our contractor, Mr. Charlie, who was just great to us. Mr. Charlie said, now I can come back and hang the bathroom hooks and the towel racks and all that. And I said, you know what? Mark Lelick taught me how to do that when I was redoing a house in Picune. I got it, Mr. Charlie. The second I said it, Matt, I thought, you ain't got this. Why do you think you can do this? But then pride took over. This contractor, I need to let him think that I can at least drill a screw into a sheetrock wall. Let me tell you what I learned. I learned that I already knew, Mr. Charlie knew what he was doing. I already knew that I shouldn't have that much confidence in myself. And I learned that if you try to use sheetrock anchors the way I tried to use them, you end up with two nickel-sized holes in the wall, okay? They're still there because I still haven't called Mr. Charlie to fix them, all right? And it was all because... I tried to do this myself and now I've got this problem i have worried about instead of trusting the one who I knew could have handled it in the first place. Casting your anxieties on God sounds great. And a lot of time it isn't even a problem of how much we trust him. It's that we trust self so much we think I'm not going to give that to God. There ain't a problem you got that you need to try to handle without Jesus. No matter how strong, no matter how great, no matter how set you are, you might get it handled and not handle it the right way. Okay, look, we have to cast all our anxieties on him. Now, that does not mean that does not mean that we're going, God, do it for me. Remember, it's like that homework. God is growing us through this. This isn't saying trust God to get it done for you. It says relying on him, humbling yourselves. It is trusting him to be with you through it. Do you see that? Does that make sense? Yes, I could work the problem for Lottie, but that's not what's best for her at the moment. It's relying on God to be with you through it. Even if this is the thing that kills you because that old saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, and they try to pull that from 1 Corinthians, that's only talking about temptation. One day God's going to give you something or let you have something that's going to kill you, okay? God often gives us things we can't handle so that we have to trust Him to do it. I've told you before, I almost failed English comp because I couldn't do oral book reports. So what does God do? calls me to do one long oral book report. Because I have to know that He's with me to do it. Look, He's with us. Not, he, yes, He's working it out for us, but He's growing us through it. You see that? When we trust Him that way and we trust Him enough and we look at self and go, you ain't nearly what you think you are, and we have to trust Him, all of a sudden we start growing. Amen? So we cast our anxieties. And folks, I know there's a lot of anxiety right now. Look at the end of the verse. I cannot miss the end of this verse realizing that He cares for you or because He cares for you. Man, don't miss that. The God of all creation, the uncaused cause, the beginning without beginning, the one who spoke the stars into existence, cares for you. There is not something going on that His infinite mind is not extremely aware of. There is no thing happening right now from the sparrow that falls out of the tree. The scripture says he knows it. Look at how he has adorned the lily of the valley and he cares for you. He is with you. That don't mean it's going to be easy, but that does mean that he's with you and he knows where he's taking us if we listen. So cast your anxieties on him by humbling yourselves. Don't, Don't miss that. All right, so he tells us, be relying on him. And then to make it clear that there are still tests. He's not saying, I'm going to make it easy. He goes right into, now prepare to be attacked. Okay? He says, be ready to resist the devil. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Sober-minded and watchful. If we said that in just everyday English, what that means is be ready. Okay? Be ready and be expecting. Look, distraction is one of the greatest tools of the devil. Sober minded means don't be distracted over here. I, I I don't know a whole lot about military tactics and all those things, but I know enough to know you want to know what's all around you. And that's that's what he's talking about here. Be looking for attack from every angle. Are you with me? All right. Let's keep going. Be looking for attack from every angle and be not just ready for it, but be expecting it. You know, the worst thing in the world is to get ready for an attack that never comes. Catherine was making fun of me when we moved down here because I bought this big box of MREs. I've never eaten an MRE. I hope I never eat an MRE. Okay. But I'm ready if I have to. You with me? Okay. Okay. Um, but she's, she's, when, when, when Corona hit and I went to the grocery store and bought all this, she's like, you're turning into a prepper. And I'm like, I'm going to eat when you start. Y'all wouldn't let her starve. I got it for the whole family. You know, I mean, I was getting ready for this potential thing. Sometimes the attack never comes because we're ready for it. Sometimes you never go hungry because you plan to not be hungry. You with me? Sometimes that attack won't come because we're ready for it. But what that means is he will try to find somewhere else to attack. Now, in this context, what is clear to Peter, what is clear to his readers, it's that Satan is about to try to attack with persecution. Seems to still be verbal and social at this point, but we know that later on it becomes physical. That's what's clear in their context. Keep reading when would be sober and watchful, ready and expecting. Your adversary. Now, look what he says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What's he trying to do? Why is this roaring lion like, have you ever been close to a lion when it roars? If you weren't expecting the lion to roar, you will immediately, you can hear these things for miles, okay? It's the most loud mouth thing God put on this earth, I think. It yeah, may be something louder, but it, it'll make you grab your ears. It'll scare you. What's going on here is he's saying Satan wants to scare you out of being active? Be aware of him. Be watchful for him. But his goal is to scare them into inactivity. And if he can scare them, now why does he want to do that? Satan knows he's already lost the war. You know the worst team to play is the team that's satisfied with a moral victory. It's the worst team to be on and it's the worst team to play because it's the ones at the end of the game that's still trying to hurt you even though they've lost. Satan is okay with moral victories. And his moral victory that's going on here, since he can't have their souls, and keep in mind, he wants their souls, but Jesus ain't letting go. No man, no thing can take us from his hand. So if he can't have that, if he can scare you into inactivity, that's his moral victory. You following that? He's fighting for that. He wants to scare them, and he's satisfied with that at this point. We can't let him have that. Why does he try to scare these folks? Well, he'll put them in inactivity, but why, why is being ready so important? If you are ready for something to scare you, it won't scare you near as much. I remember I told y'all about Izzy and Lottie at the New Orleans Zoo seeing the Rougarou and one of them was scared of one of them roared at it. Well, I didn't tell you about the first time I saw the Rougarou. Me and Catherine, Catherine and I, our anniversary is August 6, 2005, and we came to New Orleans like three weeks before Katrina on our honeymoon, okay? And we went to the zoo, we were having a good time. I would never heard of a Rougarou. I am from Northeast Mississippi. I didn't even know what lanyap meant then, okay? I thought somebody was gonna hit me first time I heard that word. I walked around the corner in that New Orleans exhibit, and I didn't know that thing was behind me, and Catherine just kinda pointed it to me, and I about hit the floor, okay? I jumped back from it. It scared me to death. She loves to tell this story. Well, ha, ha, ha. I've been told. Anyway, so (laughs) I I about hit the floor. This thing scared me so much. But you know, when I go in there now, you know why it never scares me anymore? Because I know it's right around that corner. And I know that it's going to be there. And it doesn't bother me anymore. See, not only when you are ready for something to scare you, sometimes when you get to moving and you're ready for it, it gets bad for them. See what what happened a few years ago when we were dating. Catherine loves scary stuff. If you don't know that, she wanted to go. To, she wanted me to go to a haunted house with her, and and my friend JD and my friend Cassidy. JD, Cassidy, and I were a like made-for-TV sitcom. Cassidy was the mascot. JD played football, and I was in the band. But it was a, a Sunday night, or maybe a Saturday night, and we were going to go to this haunted house over in October and stuff kept jumping out at you. And y'all, I can't stand that. I can't stand it in a movie. Catherine likes to try to make me play my man card and be tough through those movies because she knows I'd I jump more than Michael Jordan in a dunk contest. <laughs> I'm terrified, all right? And so she, she's watching that and I'm going through this haunted house and it becomes very apparent. Lots of things are gonna jump out at me. And so finally, I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm gonna expect it and I'm gonna run. And if something gets in front of me, it's gonna jump back. So I did. And stuff just quits jumping. and stuff would, but I'm not even paying attention to anymore. I'm just, I want out. And I get out of the the house and they had this one guy and I'd seen him before he went in. I was like, surely the chainsaw guy's not gonna step out. You know, fake chainsaw. He stepped out, I didn't slow down and he didn't get up. Okay. Uh, and I got to the car and as far as I know, they all get there and we're laughing. That guy's still laying there and I'm like, he saw me coming. He should not have tried to jump out at me. See, there's times when we know the scare tactic's coming, but we're already moving and we're moving so much that it doesn't even phase us. And in fact, it ends up harming the enemy. See, look, look what, look what happens here. He says, expect it, expect Satan to attack. But what you have to do is end up letting his attack tactic work against him. We'll see that in verse 9. I don't want to get the carriage of the head of the horse. I do want to tell you that. But I want to warn you at this point, they were expecting persecution. When we're talking about expecting the scare tactic, it's not always the scare tactic for us in our context. In our context, it's quite often seduction. If Satan can seduce us away from seeing how good the Father is to find our pleasure in something else, even for a moment, that's the attack we see a lot. A lot of times it's this anxiety attack of pride. They were seeing the scare tactic, but I just want to warn you, that's not his only tactic. We have to be ready for whatever the attack is. Be watchful and be ready. So when he says be, wa- be ready, we're, we're being around of what's wa- aware of what's around us. When we're being watchful. We're aware that it may not be a scare tactic. He may try to seduce us. You with me, church? when we're ready for the attack and we're watchful for it, sometimes it stops it and sometimes it makes it turn on the devil. Let me show you how that works. Verse nine, resist him. So be ready and resist. Verse nine, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay? He's saying When the the, the devil attacks, you have to persevere. Perseverance is the victory. He wants you to fall back, not do what you're made to do, but if you persevere strong in your faith, then we get to see this victory. We can persevere as we watch other believers face similar attacks and stand strong. Have you ever heard a story of a martyr and it just be like, that's terrible, but man, that kind of pumps me up. (laughs) Their faith pumps me up. I'll never forget the first time I heard the story of Latimer and Ridley. Latimer and Ridley in London are going to be burned at the stake for believing the Bible should be in every man's language, for standing for doctrines like ours, and they're going to be burned at the stake. Latimer says to Ridley, "Mister, play the man, Mr. Ridley, for tomorrow we light a fire in London, I should tr- a light in London I should trust should never be put out. And I hear that and I'm like, man, I don't want to have to do that, but wow, you know, it kind of pumps you up we we hear these stories of people who gave it all and it makes us just (sighs) every year on memorial day i i I watch and listen to the story of michael p murphy who sacrificed himself to try to save his unit i only do 200 push-ups one day a year and it's always in his memory okay it'll pump you up to do stuff like that when we hear how others are suffering and standing firm through it. Somehow it encourages us to stand firm too. And so Peter tells him, he says, look around you and see that, hey, you're not the only one suffering. Here's why else that, that encourages us. It's just plain science. You know how an experiment, what has to happen with an experiment in science for that experiment to be considered valid? You have to have reproducible results. The reproducible result of church done right, of following Jesus rightly through the history of the church and all of the world is that the world around them eventually hates them. We see it turning now. If we love Jesus rightly, the world turns on you. We see Satan attack. We see things that come in our way. And he's saying, one, be encouraged by them standing strong and also know that, hey, they're attacking you because you're doing it right So be encouraged when we see those things around the world. Now here's how it eventually turns against Satan. You know what happens when you trust God and you do things God's way? And God grows you through that. And it was tough and it was scary, but God grows you through it. And you look up at the end of the day and you see how God brought you through that. You know what that does to your faith? It strengthens your faith. And what Satan meant for evil, God ends up using for good. And his own attack falters because it ends up growing your faith. You see in that? But it takes humbling yourselves, relying on God in the stress of the moment. And it takes being ready for the attack. It takes resisting during the attack. And when we do that, we see God do awesome things and grow our faith. And finally, the last two verses, I want you to catch this again. The last thing Peter says, again warning us that there could be suffering, the last thing he says before he gives ending comments is be rewarded. Don't miss how much Peter talks about this reward. He's already said it once in this passage, and he emphasizes it again here in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. First of all, don't miss the gospel in this verse. He says, after you've suffered for a little while, and He goes and He says, Who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ? Don't miss that. Because what a lot of us do is we go, If I suffer, God owes me. Peter is really clear here. You don't get the reward just because you suffered. You get the reward because you are in Christ. The reward you get is the reward that Christ earned with Christ's work. He said, that don't sound fair. That's why Paul and Mark called it a scandal. It's called imputation. You get Jesus' status as perfect given to you. And since you have your perfection, His perfection as a co-heir with Him... God will give you his reward. It's what we mean when he's our substitute paying our price and then he gives us his reward. We aren't rewarded. Peter's being really clear. You won't be rewarded because you suffer. Because guess what? If the reward depends on your willingness to suffer and you're standing strong, then Peter himself doesn't get the reward. Because what did Peter do the night Christ was crucified? He denied him. Yes, Peter goes on to suffer later. But like we said last week, if someone commits murder, it don't matter how many good deeds they do after that, they're still guilty of that crime. Peter wouldn't get this reward if it was dependent on Peter. I would not get this reward if it was dependent on me. We get this because we are in Christ. Here's the beauty of this. If you're here and you're a believer you can be assured of the reward because you know Jesus. If you failed, hey, lay your head on your pillow tonight and cast that anxiety on God trusting Him to forgive you because you can't provide forgiveness for yourself. If Satan's attacking you with fear, with seduction, with any of his attacks, lay your head on your pillow tonight and trust Him with that too because if He can save your soul, He can certainly handle your daily life. We can lay our head on our pillow and rest well knowing that, that we are in Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, please hear the Jesus I'm calling you to. I'm not asking you to follow a Jesus who says, if life is terrible for you, and if every day hurts enough, then you'll get a reward. I'm asking you to follow a Jesus who came, who suffered a murderer's death, who was beaten with a cat of nine tails, who was hated by his own people and his government, who was hung on a cross and died, paying for our sins. I'm asking you to follow a Jesus who suffered the ultimate suffering for you. And he says, you may have to suffer for a little while. That's what he's calling us to. And don't miss the little while. Peter says, if you've never trusted Jesus, don't miss this. I'm asking you to follow a Jesus who suffered well. And when you fail to suffer rightly, he's not going to throw you away. He didn't throw Peter away. He paid the price for our sins. And he's promised a reward that he's earned for us. And I'm not asking you to follow for that reward yet. First, we got to see we need Jesus because we're sinners. None of us deserve the reward. That's the point. But he paid the price for us anyway. Would you trust him today if you never have? Would you follow him in faith? Scripture says that the moment you believe, the moment you trust him, God accounts it to you as righteousness. That's what happens with Abraham back in the Old Testament. From the beginning, it's been that way. Would you trust Him today? Finally, I want you to see here as believers, I want you to see the permanence of the reward versus the momentariness of the suffering. Look at verse 10 again. And after you have suffered a little while, He's clear, the suffering is just for a moment. Think about it, y'all. A million years from now exists. One billion years from now exists. That, that's, my mind starts, I get the concept, but I can't imagine it. But it's real. This life of 80 years, if we're, if we're lucky... Whatever we hurt here, whatever happens here, what are we going to look up in a hundred years? What are we going to look up in a thousand years? What are we going to look up in 10,000 years and say it wasn't worth this? There'll be nothing we face here that won't seem as a slight momentary affliction, as Paul says it back in Romans, compared to the glory and the worth of who He is. If we can humble ourselves and rely on Him, if we resist and we're ready, it'll strengthen our faith. The moments we fail, he'll hold us because there's a reward coming. There's a reward coming. And it might hurt for a moment, but it's worth it. I thought about it this week at the chiropractor. Many of you know that my back has been messed up lately. And this week I finally went to the chiropractor. He was popping my back. It sounded like a truck driving up a gravel driveway but I have not hurt since then. But let me tell you something, that first time he pushed and I heard the bones of my back crack, it hurt like crazy for about half a second. And then it was instant relief. And that, that slight moment has been worth just this, these two days of being able to move again. I can only imagine, I can only imagine how slight the affliction will feel from Satan's attacks when I look up and, and I see his face in 10,000 and in 10 million and in 10 billion years from now, I'm seeing it again and it's just as lovely and worth just as much, even though my mind can't get the concept of something then that good this side of heaven. Heaven has to be wonderful and God has to know that it's wonderful. Otherwise, he wouldn't let us go through what we go through here because he knows it's worth it. Suffer well, as Peter has told us, but keep your eyes on that prize The prize of our humility is a strengthened faith. And the prize of knowing Jesus is the reward he has for us up there one day. And just like with Lottie, don't expect dad to make this easy. But always know he's with you every step of the way. And he's not going to let you fail. He's got you. Let me pray for us. If you need to talk, if you're dealing with should I trust Jesus, can I? Get an appointment. Let's talk. We can get you one of our deacons as I've got to run around. We'll talk to you right now. If you're a believer and you're growing through this, get an appointment. Come in. Let's talk this week, okay? But I want you to take a few moments to reflect now on how do I follow through on this. Don't just get up and run out. If you go to ancient synagogues, all the steps were different heights and different lengths so that you couldn't run out the door. You needed to consider as you went in and you needed to consider as you went out. So even though we can't do response times like we've done them in the past, we can take a few moments to consider what we've looked at and how we apply this to our lives this week, how we suffer well, constantly relying on Him and looking to the reward. Let me pray with us and then our band's going to lead us in a time of reflection. Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus. You are so good to us. Lord, suffering is hard and it is scary. But Lord, it is only in my weakness that it is hard and scary. And I realize that it is because I haven't yet seen the reality, even though I know it, even though I believe it. My mind and my heart cannot, on this side of heaven, Lord, in my weakness, grasp the depth of that. So, Lord, just help me and help us as a faith family to know you are with us. Lord, I pray that you be gentle. But Lord, make us aware that you're with us and that you've got us. And Lord, when we fail, I know we have to grow. But remind us we're still in your hands and the reward is still Christ's and we are still his. You are so good. Lord, if any here don't know you, call them today. For those of us that do, help us to leave and serve well, ready and watchful, expecting the reward relying on you. You're good. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.